in a world where corruption, lies, and hate hang over our heads like a dark storm cloud on a winter's night. The only hope for a new day is the age of authenticity. Join me for season four as we go on a mission to help 100 million people break out of isolation and into acceptance. We're gonna come alongside visionary entrepreneurs, change makers, and thought leaders. We're gonna crack this code together. An array of light and an age of authenticity is upon us. Enjoy today's episode. Hi everybody, this is your host, Christopher Decker. For another episode of The Age of Authenticity, digging into the truth in a post-truth era, what's truly going to stand out? Today I have the privilege of speaking with Randy Gage. He's a thought-provoking, critical thinker who will make you approach your business and your life in a whole new way. Randy is the author of 13 books translated into 25 languages, including the New York Times bestsellers, Risky is the New Safe, and Mad Genius. Randy, I'm very privileged to be able to speak with you this morning. Yes, thank you so much. Now, I want to ask the first question, which is, what are some things you're grateful for right now? What's, what's great in your life? What's, what kind of blessings are around you? I'm really blessed to be alive because there was a couple of moments in my life where that outcome wasn't assured. <laughs> so mm. when you experience things like that, you know, I was diagnosed uh, HIV positive in 2006. That was mm. a time when you got that diagnosis and you did your will and you started making arrangements and mm. you started thinking maybe you weren't going to be here six months later. Uh, mm. I was shot in a robbery, left in a pool of blood at one point in my life <laughs> in the cocaine cowboy days of Miami. Um, so I don't take any sunrise for granted. I don't take any sunset for granted. I really am grateful of every moment. And, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm, I'm doing work I love uh, in areas that I'm passionate about. Uh, I live in a paradise. Um, I live in the greatest country on earth. I live in the greatest time to be alive in human history. <laughs> so mm. I'm grateful for a lot of things. Mm. Mm. Wow, it's it's interesting how how our mortality can help us actually live a little more richly. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about like what what happened when you got that diagnosis? How did that feel? You know, it's. It sounds crazy to say it, but there's almost a sense of relief mm. when in at that at that time there was so much fear for AIDS that mm. a HIV positive diagnosis was a lot of times a death a diagnosis. So um, you you live in fear of getting the diagnosis, right? 
Mm. So you're always scared. Am I going to get infected? Am I going to get infected? And you saw that with the COVID, right? I think you see it play out again in February, March, April of this year, uh, particularly when the death counts were really spiking and we didn't know the, mm -hmm. the best treatment options. And we were doing a lot of stupid things like sending people back into nursing homes who were, you know, with the, with positive, um, and so there's a sense like, and I was one of the early people who got COVID-19, right? Mm. And so it's like, after I had it, I'm like, wow, I had it and I'm still alive. So that's great. And maybe I've got immunity for six months or one year or two years. So, hey, I got it and I didn't die. Mm. And there was some of that with the HIV diagnosis too. Like, just like, okay, I don't have to every three months go get a test and then wait for three days in panic anxiety. Am I going to come back positive? It's already happened. Okay. Mm. Let's deal with it. And kind of the, I'm going to mangle the quote a little, but Mike Tyson famously said something along the lines, you know, like everybody has a plan until they get slugged in the face. <laughs> right. So uh, I thought, I had a plan for life, but it's when you almost lose your life that you kind of say, you know, <laughs> maybe I ought to open that folder, dust off the old plan and see, is that really <laughs> the right plan for me going forward? And like I say, so now I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I always live in places that are on the water. I always live in places that have a lot of windows with beautiful. I want to be a, a beautiful view. I want to surround myself in an environment of harmony so mm -hmm. I can just live in gratitude every day and notice the sunrises and notice the sunsets. Hmm. When you opened up that dusty old folder, you, you pulled open <laughs> the filing cabinet of life and you pulled out the, th the, the folder that said, Randy's plan on it. Randy's plan. This is bound to work. And then, boom, everything changed. But it, it sounds like you woke up. Yeah, you do wake up. Um, I, and I can't speak for everyone, but I think for most people, when you face your mortality, you do wake up because my plan for life at the time I got shot was to get rich. Mm. So, um, and it's fortunate that I had that dream because I still wasn't wealthy at that point. I was doing okay. I was on my way, but I was by no means wealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had this dream of becoming wealthy cause I grew up poor. I hated being poor and I was working really hard to not be poor. <laughs> so I think that dream kept me alive. You know, mm -hmm. when I, it was really touch and go in the, you know, I was in the ambulance and they were radioing into the hospital. BP is, you know, 120 over BP is 110 BP is 92. I mean, <laughs> whatever the numbers were. And I didn't even know what's a good BP, but all I knew is the numbers kept going down, like with every block or two, and they were radioing into the hospital. And the, the you know the guy who was radioing in was really concerned. And then they stopped, and the driver got out and came back and helped the other guy, and they put on a moon suit for me, you know, one of those pressure suits. 
mm-hmm. which is one of those suits you put on when they think your heart is going to stop bleed, uh, beating. Uh, and then I got to the hospital and they were like, okay, you need to sign these papers and we need to know your next of kin and we're going to call them right now. And I just said, no, it's, it was like 3 a.m. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not giving you my mother's number. I don't want you calling her and waking her up. You know, she's going to be frantic. Just you can call her in the morning after the surgery. I'll give you the number then. And they were like, you don't understand. You may not make it. You've lost a lot of blood. We don't know what organs are hit. Uh, And I was like, I will be fine. Just do whatever you need to do. But I will be fine. I had no. And I think that's because I had a dream. I had a vision for my life going on. I had something to live for, which was, hey, I was finally getting out of, you know, I was in a, a daily self-development program. I was working really hard on my prosperity consciousness. I had a dream. Um, I just couldn't imagine that I wouldn't live. So they kept bringing in more doctors, more nurses to argue with me and, you know, make the case that I wasn't going to survive the surgery. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you her number. Uh, I'll give you my business partner's number. You can call him. He'll be up watching TV now anyway, you know, and tell him, hey, in the morning after the surgery and I'm okay, then call my mother. And that was all I would do. So I had that confidence of that. So, um, but after that, when you get out, then you say, okay, just being successful and making a lot of money isn't really a viable plan, not for a life of, you know, you, you, you're, I believe what happens if you listen to the, the lessons the universe is sending you, um, you recognize, okay, it's, it, I want to move from success to significance. Okay, great. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'll be famous. I'll sell a lot of books, whatever the hell, who cares? Mm-hmm. But if I do something that's going to impact people, other people Mm. make, you know, just alter the trajectory of the universe, even if it's by a hundredth of a millimeter. Mm -hmm. If I made a difference for other people, if the world will be a little better because I was here, that's significance. Mm. Changing your source of significance from an internal want to an internal serve is mass. That's a massive shift. Now it's not even the source of significance. It's changing your desired outcome from success mm -hmm. to significance. Realizing Mm -hmm. that, okay, success is good. Let's not, let's not demean it or diminish it. It's not, there's no there's no sin in wanting to be successful. Mm-hmm. But that's not the be all end all. That's not what's going to matter when you're on your uh, deathbed going through your last few moments. You're not going to say, wow, I'm so glad I made $4 million instead of $3 million. I mean, what a difference that's made for me. Mm-hmm. You just Nobody's going to say that. Hmm. Mm. Thank you for clarifying that. That's an important distinction. Hmm. 
what are some of the the pains that you see in the world? What are some of the ways that you want to make impact through your writing, through your work, through your speaking? Because I'm I'm hearing a very beautiful soul right now who is who who does want to change lives, and and I'm curious what that is for you. Uh, my work is so I've. I, the 14th book is now written. It's going to come out in January. Mm. Uh, that one is called Radical Rebirth. And I feel that's the culmination of my life's work up until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's how to kill off the old you and create a new one. Um, it's the result of what my the my friends, the people who know me and love me would you know, roll their eyes and look at each other and say, well, Randy's going through his fourth midlife crisis. (laughs) So the book is the result of that fourth midlife crisis. And uh, so most people would probably say, God, I I bet you hope you got it right now the fourth time. And the answer is no, I hope I have a fifth midlife crisis and a sixth Mm -hmm. and a seventh, maybe an eighth. um, Because if you're not changing your mind, you're not really using it, are you? Right. And if you're not growing and developing, I like to look back and, uh, you know, look at a blog post and realize how dumb I was three weeks ago. (laughs) Right. That tells me, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm challenging myself. I'm growing into Mm -hmm. so all my books all 14 of them are one way or another i mean i have a couple that are really specific for people in direct selling business but i still think that's about success and growth and learning how to hone your craft and be more successful and then the others are, are just more general on prosperity and success and like this new one will be about personal growth and development so that's the work I want to keep doing. That's the work that I feel is important. Um, so it's in the area of helping people develop, expand their prosperity consciousness. And then more importantly, how to think. Mm. And that may be the 15th book or the 16th book. I don't know. But most people don't know how to think rationally anymore. They're so, and, and the perfect example, the time we're recording this is just after the election's been called here in the United States. Um, you have uh, 74 million people who believe one thing with all their might and 71 million people who believe the diametric opposite with all of their might. And they're both wrong, right? They're both Subject is, you know, if we watch a uh, baseball game between the the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and um, uh, Glaber Torres hits a ball to the shortstop and he's running to first base and he gets there just exactly, it seems like, when the ball comes. Uh, every Yankee fan watching that replay says, of course he's safe. And every Red Sox fan watching the replay says, oh, my God, it's so easy to tell. He's out. And neither one realizes they have confirmation bias that prevents them from looking at that play objectively. There's very few people who have the self-awareness 
and the mental discipline to go up to 35,000 feet, kind of look down on themselves subjectively. It's very difficult to do for all of us. Most people don't even try. They've just fallen into a, a pattern of habitual thinking and their life plays out because of that. Um, for people who are watching this and listening to this when it comes out the first time, this is I'm right in the middle of a series on my blog at randygage.com. You know, so just click blog, but I'm looking at the the seven areas of philosophy that determine your prosperity. Health is one of them, relationships is one of them, right? So there's different areas. And so depending what your basic core philosophy, like health, right? That was the first mm. one in the series. If you grew up with the belief that food comes from factories, which is what most people actually believe. I mean, they've heard of farmers, they see cornfields on TV, but if you go in their kitchen, it's canned soup and boxes of macaroni and cheese and spaghetti and cereals that have an expiration date three years from now, there's no raw fruits, raw vegetables, and raw nuts, which is actually the food that humans should consume to be healthy, right? Mm -hmm. They're drinking 11 Diet Cokes a day, okay? No, so if that's your philosophy that food is produced in a factory and you should gain five pounds of weight for every decade of your life. So you're five pounds overweight in your 20s and 10 pounds in your 30s and 15 pounds in your 40s and 20 in your 50s, which is what most people believe. If you believe that, you know, you should have eight, 10 or 12 prescription medicines that you take on a daily basis to counteract the bad habits and practices you're doing, you're not going to manifest prosperity, right? So the, you, mm. you still make individual decisions, but your individual, the, the point I'm making in this series is that your, your daily individual decisions are really predetermined depending on what your core philosophies are in these seven main areas. So you think you're deciding, okay, should I get the oceanfront room for $199 a night? Or should I take the $119 room, which has a view of the dumpster behind the KFC? You think you're making that decision on Tuesday, September 23rd at 4 p.m. when you're checking in the hotel. But the truth is you really made that decision when you formed your core philosophy about mm. money and finances. Right. So that's why I say the, the deeper, deeper, deeper work in what I'm doing is helping people how to think, how to be rational and logical and not not think in crazy ways, because most people think in crazy ways. Most people think in crazy ways, I think in crazy ways, as you're describing some of these things, my initial reaction is to say, screw you, Randy, what do you know about my beliefs? And so I, I, I automatically went into a defensive mode. But why? Why did I go into a defensive mode? Like, okay, 
are those like what are my actual beliefs in the area of health and financial prosperity? And I'm really, really thinking about it. And you, you, you are right. That hotel example is is just just hit me like a bullet train. Are you worth the beauty and the bounty of nature? Are you willing to invest in a more beautiful experience that's going to help you awaken and bring even even more goodness around you? And and, and so my initial like want to 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 push back and say you don't know what my beliefs are is probably stopping me from developing better beliefs. Not probably, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. There's mm. another blog if people want to research it on my blog, of uh, an essay I wrote, which is actually going to be included in the next book. But one mm. of the things I, I say in there is don't volunteer. The, the blog post, if anyone wants to search for it, is don't volunteer for a lobotomy. <clears throat> <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, so what do I mean by that when I say don't volunteer? Well, what I mean is I believe when you assign a label to yourself, you are going to make yourself dumber. You're going to restrict access mm -hmm. to certain parts of your brain and certain thinking processes. And this could be a very good label, right? Uh, you could say, I'm a conservationist. I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm a um, fundraiser for the needy, whatever. If you assign a label to yourself, you will feel compelled to defend, to, that creates an identity. To make it your, true. Yeah. Well, it creates an identity in your mind that you then feel the need to defend. So, if you, you know, let's say you're going to buy a car and you're searching the Internet and you're doing your research mm -hmm. and you liking what you see about BMWs. Right. Um, and so you're getting more and you're watching video and it turns out there's a BMW factory not far from you. And you call them up and they're given a tour and you go and oh, my God, this is amazing. So you order your new BMW. You have now identified as a BMW guy or a BMW gal, right? So you have a default setting that you have to defend. So if your neighbor comes home with a new Lexus mm -hmm. and two weeks later and says, hey, look at my new Lexus, and you're going to like, you're going to come up with 15 reasons why your BMW is better than his new Lexus. Because that's the identity you've got to defend. So... Mm -hmm. If you're a Christian, if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're a Libertarian, every if you're going to, as soon as you uh, apply a label to yourself, you're, it's not that you're actually dumber. You're still the same level of intelligence, but you're not able to access that intelligence because there are certain, um, there are certain files in that file cabinet you were talking about earlier that your mind isn't going to let you access because that would threaten your identity. Mm. It seems like identity has an override on this filing system, this searching system, this querying Google of questions that we ask our mind. 
somehow just gets blocked when we have identities that are maybe getting in the way. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can, you know, I, I know enough about you and your bio and everything to know you are a, uh, is it, would we be correct if we said you're a devout Christian? Yes. <laughs> okay. So there's a label. So you've assigned yourself the label that you're a devout Christian. I would argue that you're an atheist. Now, what's, <laughs> what's your first thought when I say, I think you're, Christopher, I think you're an atheist. What's your first thought? <laughs> my, my first thought is to say, no, Randy, you're wrong. Um, but then my second thought is, be, because we're having this conversation, and I, and I know that, is, well, okay, what about what he's saying is true? Um, I'm, I do want to, if I were to dig into that and ask, okay, so what's, you know, why would he be saying that? Well, uh, let's dig into it and let's see. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Do you believe Mercury is the God? You know, people the plan, used to the say Mercury, yeah, Mercury, the guy with the with wings on his feet. He used to fly across the sky and... He, the Greeks thought he was a god. The Greeks or Romans or somebody thought he was a god. Do you believe Mercury is the god? Is God? No. Okay. Do you believe Buddha is God? In some manifestations, yes. Okay. Do you believe the prophet Muhammad is God? In many ways, yes. Well, I mean, come on now, let's be real. Do you, does not your belief of Christianity tell you there's only one God and only one way into the universe? I mean, I know you're trying to be polite and, and no, 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 this is, this is literally something that, uh, that, you know, I, I literally something that, that I, that I hold is looking for looking for God in everything. And I think, as you're mentioning, you know, the the, the one path of Christianity. Um, so please keep going. Uh, this is this is good. <laughs> okay, so what I would say is, if I go on and on, I'd say, okay, do you think Zeus is God? And I would say, no, 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 no. Apollo, Aphrodite, whatever. So I'd say, okay, so you're an atheist on Zeus. You're an atheist on Mercury. You're an atheist on Aphrodite. You're an atheist on Neptune. So I'm really just an atheist for one more God than you are, right? Because I'm an atheist on 27 gods. You're an atheist on 26 of them, right? But, mm -hmm. if you, but you're not going to think that way. If you've assigned this label of devout Christian, you're going to think, well, okay, I, these Muslim mm -hmm. people seem to be nice, but they're wrong. And these Hindu people seem to be nice, but they're confused. And these Rastafarians seem, you know what I mean? You, you've got an identity that you need to defend. <clears throat> and it's not going to leave your mind as open <clears throat> for critical thinking processes if you don't have that label. You know, I call myself a fundamentalist agnostic, <laughs> right? So that that and even that's a label, but it's it's a it's a much broader label that allows me to access more thought processes, because when you say you're agnostic about something, it means you're open mm -hmm. to doubt, possibility, 
you know, all science, the entire point of science mm. is to question science. All science is developed in that way. You create a hypothesis and you try to prove it's false. And that's mm -hmm. the science of science, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to approach my thinking the same way. I try to, uh, I, you know, I, I joke that I'm a uh, philosopher scientist, that if I had mm -hmm. a business card, that's what it would say. It would say, Randy Gage, mad scientist philosopher or something like that. Because mm -hmm. I want to... I want to question the premise because if the premise is wrong, everything that comes off of the premise is wrong. So for that reason, um, that, you know, that's what I say. That's, that's maybe that's my 15th book or my 16th book or my 27th book. I don't know, but at some point, uh, that's the kind of work I'm doing with this current series on my blog. Mm -hmm. and my podcast and then that'll probably be a book at some point to to help people become more self-aware and more objective about their thought process to become most people are not most people think based on the stimuli around them mm -hmm. the weatherman says it's going to rain so they take the umbrella right most people don't question the premise. Most people don't think about their thoughts. Their thoughts are whatever pops into their mind. They walk by the TV and Chris Wallace says that, they think about that. Or ESPN is on and, uh, uh, you know, the uh, host says this, those, you know, um, that uh, what kind of quarterback uh, Patrick Mahomes is. So that's what they're thinking about. Right. So you have to become the thinker of the thought. You have to raise yourself up there to 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet and and mindfully think about what you think about. Mm -hmm. mm, mindfully think about what you think about that. I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> um, and I, I I appreciate the 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 challenge here to even if I can, even if I come back and, and, and come, you know, if I question my beliefs and take a 360 approach to all of that, and I still believe that this path is the true path. It's, 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 it's going to create growth by just by, by expanding that awareness and perhaps, perhaps, giving myself a, a more open identity to be open to more possibilities. We're literally talking to the guy who wrote Mad Genius, the Mad Genius Scientist Philosopher, Randy Gage. He's excited about the future of technology. He's written 13 books and he's got ideas for 20 plus books. He's going to be writing for the rest of his life, it sounds like. Now, I, I want to I envision a couple of outcomes. What do you hope for the future? What does this future of technology look like? What does this future of Randy look like? <clears throat> the future of Randy, I hope, is just uh, I, I've made the decision I'm more a writer who speaks, mm. not a speaker who writes. You know, I've done, I've spoken to more than 2 million people in more than 50 countries around the world. Uh, so I'm in the Speaker Hall of Fame, and that was kind of an identity. That was a label I assigned to myself, right? And other people assigned to me, and then I accepted that label. 
And now I just kind of looked at that and said, you know, I don't know that that label really ser serves me because I'm happiest when I'm hunched over my laptop in my lonely writer's garret punching out my next book. So I feel like that's what brings me joy because I write to clarify my own thoughts. Right? Mm -hmm. I love to sell my books. I hope everybody buys all 14 of my books, everybody who's listening. But the truth is, <laughs> I write those books for me, not you. you know? mm -hmm. Because when you write something, it forces you to clarify and analyze your thinking. And mm -hmm. uh, it makes your thinking sharper. So that's what I see for my future. Again, I want to keep working in the prosperity and success arena. I want to help people around their thoughts. Uh, my next big project will probably be a nonprofit foundation that I want to start to teach the principles of entrepreneurship to kids in the inner city, um, because I think that's not happening in our education system. It's not happening in our society. So that's kind of where I want to be. Where, where do I see the world going? I don't know. Um, there's such a dearth of critical thinking. There's such polarization. There's such um, hate and division and race baiting. It's really discouraging. But on the other hand, like I say, I feel like we live in the greatest time in human history. Mm -hmm. You could jump in that DeLorean and go to anywhere at any moment in time. You'd want to come here. We're on the precipice of uh, cloning biogenetic engineering, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, uh, you know, asteroid mining, trips to Mars, vacations mm -hmm. on the moon, ocean floor, real estate. Um, it's just an incredibly exciting time to be alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm going to be doing my part trying to help us all think in higher levels of consciousness so we can manifest the most prosperity from all of these amazing developments that we have going on right now. Hmm. That's an important mission, brother. Thank you for your contribution today. You've created a little bit of change in me. You've created change in the people that are listening. And I hope that you truly bring that dream alive of being the writer who is also a speaker. And as you mentioned, you're, you're writing for yourself. So my only prayer would be that you continue to have experiences and situations and and life happening for you, not against you, so that you can write these books for yourself and others can read them and say, holy shit, Randy's maybe on to something. Thank you. Amen to all of that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's it. We're, we're done. <laughs>